for immigrants, you we are already required under federal immigration law to carry documents. But let's see, somebody like myself, I'm a naturalized citizen. I don't have any immigration document that proves that I'm a citizen. If I happen to be in one of those cars and I'm speaking Spanish and I'm stopped and asked for proof of my citizenship, if I don't have my U.S. passport on me, then I could be detained. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from... Massachusetts, where uh, I can't claim it's sunny, uh, but uh, at least it's uh, spring. And uh, I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsors today, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Clio, web-based practice management software at goclio.com. Craig, last week uh, in Arizona, the governor, Jan Brewer, signed into law a uh, strict immigration bill that has uh, incited uh, nationwide controversy and, and discussion, uh, the so-called Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods uh, Act uh, allowed uh, under, the, under that law, the law enforcement is allowed to question anyone about their immigration status if they have reasonable suspicion to believe they might be an undocumented worker. Uh, The new law is uh, purportedly designed to curb illegal immigration and uh, uh, is expected to go into effect this summer uh, unless uh, legal challenges uh, prevent that from happening. Bob, in addition to immigrant rights groups and civil rights groups protesting over the legality and the constitutionality surrounding this strict new law, President Obama has come out calling the law irresponsible. It's got strong support, however, from the people of Arizona who have become frustrated by an uptick of violence on the border. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at uh, the controversy surrounding this Arizona law, uh, the legality, uh, talk about the legality of the law, and perhaps what it might mean uh, for immigration reform, both uh, in Arizona and and uh, on a national level. Our first guest today to help us discuss this is attorney Marie Elena Incape. She is the executive director of the National Immigration Law Center. Before she assumed this position of executive director in September of 2008, Marie Elena served as NILC's Director of Programs Managing the Organization's Employment, Public Benefits, and Immigration Work. Ms. Incape specializes in and has dedicated her legal career to protecting and advancing the rights of immigrant workers, particularly those who are undocumented. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Maria Elena. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. And next to join us today is Paul Bender, Professor of Law and Dean Emeritus at the Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law at Arizona State University. Paul Bender teaches courses on U.S. Uh, and Arizona constitutional law. He's written extensively about constitutional law, intellectual property, and Indian law, and is co-author of the two-volume casebook treatise entitled Political and Civil Rights in the United States. 
Paul Bender has argued more than 20 cases before the United States Supreme Court and actively participates in constitutional litigation in federal and state courts. Uh, he served as a principal deputy solicitor general of the United States from 1993 to 1997. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Bender. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, I guess our first question is um, kind of an overview of this immigration law. Can either of you give us a, a good example of, of what it says kind of in, in uh, terms that are a little bit more understandable than reading the actual statutes? Yeah, I'd like to start, if I could, because something you said in the introduction is not exactly accurate, although it's been said all over the news media. The statute, I am not a defender of the statute. I think it's horrible. The, the, the statute, however, does not allow the police to question anyone when they have reasonable suspicion to think they're in the country illegally. It carefully says how this will work in practice, I don't know, but it carefully says that there has to be a lawful contact between the police officer and the person before that is triggered. In other words, it doesn't let the police just walk up to somebody on the street who they think looks like he might be here illegally and say, identify yourself. There's got to be some kind of lawful contact, and it doesn't describe what, uh, define what a lawful contact is, so it's not clear how that will uh, be done. Also, uh, it's not clear that it's going to go into effect um, Unless there's a lawsuit, Arizona, as you probably know, has a referendum system, uh, and for that reason, laws are uh, do not go into effect for 90 days after the end of the legislative session, which is, I think, supposed to be next week. So, if people get a referendum petition going and get around 100,000 signatures, um, that would st and file those within 90 days. That would stop the law from going into effect until it can be submitted to the voters at a general election, which probably could be in November but might not be if this legislative session goes on for much longer. Well, tell us what the law does do. Uh, we might have gotten it wrong in terms of what it doesn't do, but, but what, what does the law do? It basically does two things that are important. One, I think the most important thing it does is it makes it a state crime for somebody to be in the state without required federal documentation. It's already a federal crime, and this sticks the state crime on top of that. And then it does what I described before, namely, uh, if police have arrested somebody or if they have another lawful contact, some lawful contact with them, uh, and they have reasonable suspicion that they're here illegally, they're supposed to follow up on that uh, suspicion. But it doesn't say how they're supposed to follow up. It, it mentions getting in touch with the federal immigration authorities. I'm not sure how police do that if they don't have a good identification of the person. So I'm not sure exactly how that works. But... Um, it says that when people are in police custody, at least, and probably when the police uh, stop a car, for example, uh, and they have suspicion that somebody in the car is here illegally, they're probably allowed to ask for some identification. It then provides that if the person shows an Arizona driver's license or a driver's license from another state that requires you to be a citizen to get the license or a passport or some other document like that showing citizenship, that's the end of it and the police go no further. The open question to me is what happens if the people either refuse to give identification or don't have it. The law just doesn't make clear whether the police can arrest them at that time, because although it does make it a state crime to be in the country uh, without the documentation, I'm not sure police have probable cause to think somebody's in the country without documentation just because they don't have a driver's license with them. Carlina, what are the, what are the real issues from an immigration standpoint? 
Right. I mean, I think the one, a couple of things that I would add is um, in terms of, as Paul mentioned, uh, the federal immigration law already does require um, individuals who are immigrants to carry documentation that proves their status in the U.S. And this is actually one of the, the main legal arguments um, against the, the new law, SB 1070, is that um, it violates the, uh, the, the rule of preemption, of federal preemption. And the U.S. Supreme Court consistently has ruled that the federal government has broad and exclusive power to regulate immigration. Um, and this is the concern with this is one of the concerns um, with respect to this statute um, that is now in place. Um, in addition to some of the things that Professor Bender mentioned, um, it does give the police the authority to conduct arrest without a warrant if the officer has probable cause to believe that the person has committed um, any offense that makes them deportable. And one of the concerns about that is immigration law is extremely complex. It's considered a labyrinth, um, and there have been many many court decisions that refer to immigration law and tax law as two of the most complicated areas of law. And so for police officers to be able to make the determination on the spot um, that a person may be deportable is really questionable whether, in fact, they will ever be able to do that. And this is one of the reasons why there has been so much uh, concern all over the country about racial profiling because ultimately, and I think, you know, Secretary Napolitano actually made this comment herself yesterday, which is that it's really difficult to imagine how the law can be enforced in a racially neutral way. And again, that is one of the underpinnings um, of many of the arguments against this bill, this new law. I would also add that in addition to the uh, mist- the new crime, uh, Arizona crime of misdemeanor, um, it is also, uh, the, the, the statute also makes it a felony if it's a second offense or if the person had previously accepted what's called voluntary departure or was deported. So what that means in immigration speak is um, if, for example, um, I have been detained by immigration and I could be a lawful permanent resident and lose my status for a whole host of reasons, for example, um, but if I left the country and at some point came back unlawfully, now that is a violation of immigration law, but under the new bill, the new law in Arizona, I would be subject to a felony for the first time, not a misdemeanor, as would others. Um, and then lastly, I'll just point out that it also makes it a misdemeanor for somebody to hire or pick up day laborers um, and also a misdemeanor for an individual, a worker, to get into a car if it, if it is impeding traffic. So this is going to affect homeowners and many others who rely on day laborers, most of whom are independent contractors. Um, and there's been a lot of, um, a number of court decisions, particularly in the Ninth Circuit, that hold that it is a First Amendment violation for there to be an anti-solicitation um, law when workers are seeking work in a public space. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And uh, also, to me, what Maria mentioned about the difficulty of police knowing how to enforce this thing properly, assuming they try to do that, is another reason why I think it's preempted. To me, the the strongest legal argument that can be brought right away is that it's clearly preempted by federal law. I mean, it's a federal—immigration law is federal. The federal government made it. The federal government has an agency to enforce it. The agency has to have discretion about— how to enforce it. If they ask the states to help them, that's one thing. But to turn 50 states loose and the sheriffs in all of those states loose to 
to make their own interpretations of federal immigration law and to stop people, maybe to arrest people, to hold people based on that. I mean, that could cause serious foreign policy problems. It could cause, in addition, a lot of racial profiling. And mainly, it's that this is a matter that the federal government needs to have control over. People in Arizona don't think the federal government's doing the right job, but the the solution to that is not to let their own sheriffs do it themselves, because, as Maria says, they're really not qualified to do it. And the chances of this being done in a racially neutral way are close to zero. Well, you've both mentioned this concern about racial profiling. Really, and explain that. I mean, if if this is a law that that requires there first to have been some lawful contact and and then to simply, uh, I guess, request ID, uh, where where is the concern for, about racial profiling in this? You want to do that, Maria, or should I? Sure, I'll start. And you know, unfortunately, we actually have. Too much evidence of this recently. Um, there is already uh, there are a, num- a number of immigration enforcement programs that allow for collaboration between immigration agents and police, and we've seen it in Arizona. And again, you know, Paul probably can talk about this with Sheriff Joe Arpaio being probably among the most infamous law enforcement agents in the country who are doing this. The way it plays out in practice is this: um, the police stop a car. It could be. I mean, we've seen congressional testimony where uh, individuals have been stopped because they had rosary beads hanging on their rearview mirror, because they had a bumper sticker in Spanish, because they had tinted windows. I mean, lots of different pretextual reasons. And ultimately, the reason the person is being stopped is um, because of the color of their skin, because they appear to be Latino. I mean, many law enforcement agents, unfortunately, um, have said that that is the, the basis for which they stop people. Um, and again, the the lawful stop could be that they're, you know, the person didn't have, you know, they had expired tags or a broken taillight or something like that, but that the uh, underlying reason for why the officer stopped the person was racially motivated. And um, we've seen this again. And in fact, the um, Office of Inspector General um, at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency just a couple of weeks ago released a scathing report talking about how the uh, 287G program, which is one of the programs that allows for this collaboration between police officers and immigration agents, has been replete with racial discrimination. And so it has been happening already in the country. And the concern is that this state law in Arizona is only going to exacerbate that even more. Just think about what would happen or what's going to happen uh, when police stop cars for going through a stop sign, even not a pretextual thing. Uh, if the car is full of uh, white Anglo-looking people, how likely are the police to say, show us an identification? If the car is full of Hispanic-looking people, the police are very likely to do that. And they sort of have to, because you can't do that for everybody, I don't think. Maybe they will. But I think the, the, the possibility is very strong that when police have a lawful contact with somebody, they're not going to ask all of those people whether they have a driver's license, and they're not going to hold in custody people who don't happen to have a driver's license with them. They're only going to ask people who they think may be illegal, and that's probably going to mean they're only going to ask Hispanics in Arizona, and that's the racial profiling that seems to me almost inevitable. 
That's right. And I think, you know, the piece about this that is so dangerous is actually that, um, again, for immigrants, you we are already required under federal immigration law to carry documents. But let's see, somebody like myself, I'm a naturalized citizen. I don't have any immigration document that proves that I'm a citizen. If I happen to be in one of those cars and I'm speaking Spanish and I'm stopped and asked for proof of my citizenship, if I don't have my U.S. passport on me, then I could be detained. Um, and so, again, this is particularly dangerous for what it means for all communities of color, particularly Latinos in Arizona, but also for people who have been, you know, first, second, third generation Mexican-Americans, Hispanic-Americans in Arizona who are U.S. citizens, but, again, will not be able to prove. And unless every citizen is required to carry proof of their citizenship, which is not the direction that I think most Americans want to go in, um, it raises, again, the specter of the only way that you can actually enforce this law is if you are looking at it through a racial lens. Paul, let's take a look at this from the other side. Uh, can you give us the arguments about why this statute was passed in the first place, the, violent, the violence issues and the, the, uh, the inability of the federal government supposedly to enforce uh, immigration well, yeah, uh, there has been, as everybody knows, a lot of illegal immigration, How, and a lot of it comes through Arizona. How closely related that is to violence in Arizona, I don't know. People are really quick to jump at the conclusion that it is. For example, a rancher in southern Arizona near the border was killed a couple of weeks ago by somebody who apparently fled back, fled, I shouldn't say back, see, you and I do it, fled across the border after killing. People there are assuming that was an illegal immigrant. Uh, who knows whether that's true or not? I don't know. And for all I know, we'll never know. The reports I've seen about crime statistics in Arizona generally are that people who are here illegally do not have a higher incidence of committing crimes than anybody else. They probably have a lower incidence. But I think what's going on is a perception that, which is accurate, that illegal people, people are coming illegally across the border a lot. Uh, and the, and that the federal government isn't doing as much about it as people would like them to do, especially people in Arizona who are hostile to some of this immigration. Uh, and I think that's why it was passed. When the governor signed it, she said, we got all this uh, violence near the border <clears throat> and all this violent crime, but this bill isn't going to stop that. Uh, this bill is is not targeting people as they come across the border. It's not targeting violent criminals. So although I understand the reason for doing it, and there are probably some good reasons, it's got to be, I think, something that's done through the federal government. And if people in Arizona feel that the federal government isn't doing the right thing, that they ought to take those claims to the highest official in the federal government happens to be our ex-governor, uh, and to our senators and representatives, and try to lean on them to reform federal immigration law rather than trying to do it themselves. I think that's right. I share those concerns. I mean, I think that the argument about um, the criminal activity and drug cartels, et cetera, that is shared, actually, by undocumented immigrants in Arizona and, all, and in Texas and other places where they have also been caught in the crossfire. It's shared by other um, Latinos in all communities, really, in Arizona and throughout the country. So it's a, it's a real concern, but it's being conflated with undocumented immigration. One of, you know, again, it's comparing apples and oranges, and this state uh, law is not going to resolve that issue. And in fact, it actually undermines the safety of Arizonans because... For immigrant communities, 
uh, not to be able to trust their police and not to be able to come forward and report a crime or to serve as a witness in a crime is extremely damaging to relationships between communities and police. And this is one of the reasons why so many law enforcement agencies around the country um, have, over the last couple of years, spoken up very eloquently about why uh, Im- uh, deputizing law enforcement agents to become immigration agents is harmful to community policing efforts. And just last week and over the last two weeks, we've seen law enforcement agents also come out against this particular bill before it was signed. Um, the other piece is, I think, with respect to just undocumented immigration generally, um, that is one of the main arguments, right? People are concerned about um, the number of undocumented immigrants in the U.S. And there are a number of things, I think, that I would say in response to that. One is, because of the economic crisis, there's actually been a decrease in the number of undocumented migrants coming to the U.S., even through Arizona. Secondly, most undocumented immigrants in this country and in Arizona are actually part of 85% of uh, immigrant families are what's called a mixed status family, which means that they are, um, there's one parent who's undocumented, another one who is a citizen, and they are caught up in the bureaucracy of very long waits to become um, legalized in the U.S. And so it's not, there's this myth that people just don't want to become citizens when, in fact, we have a broken immigration system that takes 5, 10, 15, 20 years um, sometimes in order for you to be able to get your legal status in the U.S. And these are individuals who have deep roots in our communities, who have U.S. citizen children, who um, have connections to the community, who own homes, who own small businesses. The economic impact of this law is going to be huge. Um, not just for Arizona, but for the country as a whole. And the response really is immigration reform. We do need to resolve that. But again, that lies with Congress, not with the state legislature in Arizona. Well, we need to take a break. When we return, we'll talk more about Arizona's new immigration law and immigration reform. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. 
or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Uh, Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are speaking with attorney Maria Elena Hinkapie, executive director of the National Immigration Law Center, and also Professor Paul Bender, professor of law and dean emeritus at the Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law at Arizona State University. Uh, Paul Bender uh, has to leave us in just a moment, and and we wanted to to, uh, thank him for his time. Uh, Maria Elena is going to stay with us, but before he leaves, I wanted to give him an opportunity to to have his sort of final thought on this uh, topic, uh, and also if you'd like to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you to do that as well. So, Paul Bender? Sure, thanks. One thing I'd like to say, just emphasize something Maria said. What's going to happen if this law works the way the people who drafted it want it to work? Is they going to discourage people from coming here or staying here who are generally law-abiding people? The people who they're really afraid of and the people who are dangerous, the drug smugglers, the gang people, they're not going to be stopped by this kind of thing. Uh, and so it just targets the wrong population. It gives people the idea that something is being done about their problems when it's not being done. And it creates this whole lot of fear in the community. Uh, maybe it's unjustified fear, but it's based on the way some Arizona public officials have enforced laws, especially Joe Arpaio. So I got all the leave to uh, join a conference call about this very issue. If people want to get in touch with me, they can email me at paul.bender at asu.edu. And thanks for asking me to be on. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Paul. Bye-bye. Well, Maria, we talked before the break about immigration reform. What do you see as a blueprint? What are the essential elements of what needs to be in immigration reform? Well, you know, interestingly, the Arizona law has actually galvanized a lot of uh, energy towards, uh, once again, discussing comprehensive immigration reform at the federal level. Um, And as we speak, um, actually, I think um, by the end of the week, we will have um, something issued by the Senate um, trying to address this very issue. And the administration has been very public about saying, once again, that this is not... um, the solution to the nation's immigration problems cannot be done uh, in, uh, in a patchwork um, by state by state the way Arizona is doing, and instead we need to do this um, at the federal level. So the uh, principal components of uh, a, a broad immigration reform bill um, that will resolve um, the issues that the nation is struggling with right now are, one, a broad legalization program that allows um, the 10, 11 million undocumented immigrants who are very much a part of the fabric of society in in this country to come out of the shadows, to be able to fully participate in society, um, continue contributing to the economy as they've been doing. Um, They are uh, among uh, the most entrepreneurial sectors of our society, and so it really will help the economy um, for individuals to have work authorization and to have a path to- towards citizenship. Um, so that is one component of it. Secondly, um, as I mentioned earlier, there is the system itself is broken. There's a very long backlog, a very complicated um, system in place for how people actually migrate to the United States to be reunited with family members or to uh, work for employers who have a need for um, uh, for workers where there's a, some kind of a, 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 a 
lack of uh, workforce available, and particularly in the high tech, we see that um, many companies who are pushing for expansions of H-1B visas, uh, scientists, professors, health, the healthcare profession is struggling. Um, so there are a number of uh, reforms that are needed with respect to temporary worker visas in the future. Um, there is also uh, the need for uh, enforcement both of labor laws to make sure that the economic incentive that employers have to hire and recruit undocumented immigrants is taken away and that there is more enforcement against those unscrupulous employers uh, so that they're not undermining um, employers that are actually playing by the rules. Um, and then lastly, you know, I would say that another major component of immigration reform really does need to be um, looking at um, the future flow. Again, this is the kind of how, tempor- how, how we're going to deal with any future migration into the U.S. so that there are actually legal channels for people to come to the U.S. so that we don't have the same problem again. And ultimately, this is really, when you're talking about comprehensive immigration reform, it's not all going to be accomplished through one piece of legislation. And so um, there are questions about what kind of economic aid is being given to countries. Um, are we really helping in the development of uh, send-in countries' economies so that people can actually stay in their countries, um, which is what most many people actually want to do um, and not have to migrate to the U.S. or elsewhere in seek of a better uh, economy. Maria Elena, is the uh, National Immigration Law Center responding in any way directly to the Arizona law? And, and, and what other legal responses are there? Have, have lawsuits been filed at this point or are actions being taken? Uh, lawsuits have yet to be filed. Um, the National Immigration Law Center, along with our sister organizations, um, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, the ACLU, and a number of civil rights and immigrant rights organizations are exploring litigation. Um, the mayor of Phoenix is also exploring what the city of Phoenix can do against the state. And uh, equally important, we have already heard that the Department of Justice is also looking into the possibility of litigation against the state, particularly along these issues of preemption. What do you expect to see in form in terms of challenges? Uh, the law is supposed to go in effect this summer. We have kind of a preview that the the mayor of the city of Phoenix may be filing a lawsuit. Uh, what have you heard about what challenges are going to be brought against this act, this uh, new statute? That's I mean that's right. I mean I think the as we talked earlier, the preemption challenge is probably one of the principal components of it. There will probably be two different types of challenges. I mean, we do expect that there will be multiple lawsuits. So, um, you know, that's that's one piece. There is the anti-solicitation issue with respect to First Amendment challenges on the day labor component. Um, the broader and probably most uh, prominent legal claim will be around the preemption issues um, right now with respect to a facial challenge. And I think the goal would be to seek an injunction from uh, so that the courts can prevent the uh, law from actually going into effect 90 days after the legislative session closes. I think separate from that, if the, the law were actually to go into effect, then there will be probably a whole other set of uh, lawsuits uh, really looking out to kind of an as-applied, chal- uh, as-applied challenge once people actually start being harmed directly by um, the implementation of the law. So that's probably not going, we're not going to see that probably until the fall. Our producers have sounded the warning bell here telling us that we're running close to the uh, end of our half hour. But before we wrap up, we do want to give you an opportunity, uh, as you did with Paul, to share your final thoughts on this uh, and also to tell our listeners how they can follow up with you if you'd like to do that. So, uh, relating your final thoughts. 
Sure. I think, you know, my final thoughts are that I think it's extremely dangerous for any state or locality to be addressing these issues and to further marginalize communities by um, creating this uh, gap between the police and immigrant communities who really are part of our society. And I think we need to be looking at us passing laws uh, that help make our country more inclusive rather than exclusive and turning the clock back to the 1950s pre-civil rights era. So it's very dangerous. We hope that it will be uh, struck down by the courts and uh, maybe even by the people of Arizona through a referendum. Um, I can be reached uh, through my email, which is my last name, H-I-N-C-A-P-I-E at NILC.org and through our website, which is www.NILC.org. Great. Well, Thanks very much. We appreciate you being on the show. And uh, remember, Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. And for our listeners, they can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Marie-Lane. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank uh, you. And a reminder to our listeners that our programs are also available for CLE credit on the uh, West Legal Ed Center. You can get to that by going to... uh, the Legal Talk Network and uh, clicking on the West Legal Ed Center link there. So, uh, Craig, I look forward to talking to you about another great legal topic next week. We will see you then. And remember, we're also on iTunes as well as all the other podcasts on the Legal Talk Network. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.